Last week we started a series called Peculiar People, and we talked about the fact that we do some peculiar things as people, don't we? At times we have some strange habits, and I asked you guys last week just to raise your hand if you'd be willing to, to identify yourself as one of the people that does one of these strange things. So if I say something that you do, I'd love for you to raise your hand and kind of let yourself up there, all right? So if you tuck yourself under your sheet nightly to protect you from the things that could get you during the night, just raise your hand real quick, right? I, I, like, I think it's kind of funny that a lot of adults are not admitting this because I'm in on this, 100%, because that one-eighth inch sheet's going to do a lot, right? Totally. How about raise your hand if you come up with the perfect comeback about four hours too late? Somebody, so, all right, a little more honesty on that one, yeah. What about anybody fall up the stairs, up the stairs, right, all the time, all the time. In our old building, it was the worst. I used to do it all the time. How about this? Before you throw something out at the garbage or if you happen to be playing basketball, raise your hand if you, you say, okay, if I get this in, then so-and-so is going to happen, right? Like if, if I get this last shot. When I was a kid, man, I'd be out playing in my backyard and my mom would call me in for dinner and I'd be, I have to make the last shot, right? That's the only one that counts to impact the rest of your life, okay? And so I would go ahead and say, all right, if I make this shot, I'm going to be on the Knicks one day. And it would take hours and hours, and that's why I'm not on the Knicks today. But we do some peculiar things. And in 1 Peter 2, in the old school King James Version, it says this. It says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, a peculiar people is this phrase that makes us kind of think like we're going to be weird or we're supposed to just kind of be annoying or something as Christians, as followers of Jesus. But I love the way that the NIV changes, or I shouldn't say changes, it really better translates right back from the Greek, this last phrase in this verse. Let's read that. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then instead of peculiar people, it says God's special possession. I love that. Because it's like a whole different vibe about it, right? Peculiar people sounds like we're supposed to be weird and we're supposed to just kind of annoy people. But God's special possession, that's a whole different way of coming at it. Like now we belong to God. And because we belong to God, we're going to live in a certain way and we're going to act in a certain way because of it, right? And so would you say this when me? Just say the first part and then I'll give you the next one. Peculiar people means that you and I are God's special possession. All right. 11.30, we got to step it up. That was pretty weak, all right? 9.30 was killing it this morning, all right? But because Jesus has died for our sin, now we become these peculiar people, these, these special possessions. And God looks at you today, no matter where you are in life or what's been going on in your life, or what you've been going through, the choices you made in your past, he looks at you as his special possession. You know, parents in the room, you get this, right? You guys certainly get this. Looking at Isabella, you see that little beautiful child and there's this heart like, This is my special possession. This is my kid right here. And God has that heart for you. But because of that, right, God is saying now, all right, you're mine, but I want you to act like it, right? Now, we're not going to get that perfect. We're going to mess that up sometimes. We're not always going to live the way God wants us to. And when we fall short, we kind of need to own that, right, And, and, and confess that to him and maybe even some other people that are aware of it and just say, you know what? That was really dumb of me to do or say, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm sorry for that. I should have, I should have 
held my tongue. I should have acted differently. But, but there's this whole different way we should act because we're God's special possession. I told you last week that my family have, has a dog named Chewbacca. And Chewy, to everyone's surprise, is my wife Kelly's special possession. Everybody thought he'd probably be one of the kids' special possessions, but no, it's Kelly. And Kelly treats him better than all the rest of us and does so much for him. And because of that, he acts like it. And in fact, if Kelly and I are in our kitchen or our living room or something, and we're just hugging, and Chewie comes in, he loses his mind. He starts barking, clawing, he's growling, he will run and jump on me to kind of like break this thing up. Because I think there's this jealousy, like, wait a minute, I belong to her, you don't belong to her. All right, easy, buddy, all right? But this is the way that as we think about God, like he's treated us so well. Right? We just sung together about his sacrifice and his love and his mercy and his grace and all these beautiful things. And now that's supposed to impact how we live. But there are some traps we fall into, right? When it comes to being God's special possession and kind of living like it. We, we looked at one last week and it's this word called compromise, right? Small compromise leads to big destruction, right? We saw in Solomon's life. He just started making a few little innocent compromises and then he got away with it and then he made a few more got away with it and then next thing you know he's far from God making horrible decisions that even today we would look at and say what was this guy thinking right well it all started with that small little compromise today I want to talk to you about sort of a theme that comes that that's really before every single one of us right now especially in our culture and our world okay and it's this idea of As God's special people, his possessions, we can sometimes wrestle to be that when we do a few things. When when Number one, when we start to kind of look at the word of God and just pick what we do and don't like. You know what I mean? It's like I feel comfortable with that, but but that's a little, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I'm going to follow that one or I don't know if I should really line my heart up with what God's saying here. Take it a step further. Some of us have even thought, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead and ignore that thing, right? I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist, which does nothing, by the way. Sometimes we're like, I'll, I'll say the, you know, the, the nice things Jesus did and said. I'm going to roll with that. But, but sort of this more intense stuff in the scriptures, I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. But, but you know, ignoring it doesn't make it any less there, right? So, so that can't be the option. Some of us get offended and give up. I see it all the time. Get offended and give up. We, we see something in the scripture or we see something Jesus said or did, or maybe we just know God's calling us to do something, and we are fighting it with all we have. And we just decide, I'm going to just give up. I don't like that the Bible says this. I don't like that the scriptures say this. I don't like that Jesus did that. And you know what? Instead of maybe wrestling through it, which God's not afraid of, he's not afraid of your wrestling, he's not afraid of your questions, we just decide, I'm just going to go ahead and do my own thing. Another thing we do is we'll twist it to mean what we want it to mean, right? Now, I know none of the kids in the room. We got lots of kids here in the service today. None of you guys ever do this when your parents say something. But when I was a kid, right, if my parents said something, I would often twist what they said. And so if I asked my parents if I could hang out with my friends and my dad said maybe, that of course meant yes, right? Of course. Of course it means yes. Or if my mom said, you know, Doug, we've been going like nonstop. We're just exhausted. Maybe we just take the night off. What I heard was she did not say no, and so I could probably wear her down, right? Uh, if, if my parents flat out said no, I would just, huh, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it, you know? I, I, oh, you, you said that? I, I'm sorry. I'm at my friend's house now, you know, but, but I, I didn't hear what you said. And I think that's often how we approach God. I'm just going to twist it, or I'm going to pretend he didn't say it, And then this way I can kind of do what I want. We do this all the time when it comes to the word of God. 
I'm going to give you an example. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to offend everybody today, so we'll just kind of go for it here. Um, One of the examples of this is you just think about the very first verse in the entire Bible. It says, in the beginning, God, what? Created. And man, that's offensive today. That God created. That's offensive, right, to the modern mind, to the learned mind, to to the smart person, right? It's offensive that God created the heavens and the earth. And I just have to think, if we don't take the first verse of the Bible seriously, how can we take the hundredth or the thousandth verse of the Bible seriously, right? If we, if we look away from that and just decide, nah, I, I think we've got this figured out a little bit better than God did. How can we then apply any of the rest of the Bible to us and impact the way that we lives, live? You know, I, again, I, I want to encourage wrestling in this area, Okay. And just kind of struggling through it and really sinking your teeth into some of this and saying, is, is this true? Like, is what culture says true? Is what we're told true that basically this all just kind of happened by, by accident and there was no designer and there's no design? And is this what we're going to live by? You know, it's interesting when you begin to just Google origin of life, okay? And I'm not talking about on the Christian websites, okay? Just Google origin of life. Do you know what words kind of repeat themselves a lot? I was doing this on Friday. I was just Googling it. I was reading article after article, and words like theory come up, uncertain, mystery, random, right? And, and what's amazing is the whole world has put all its eggs in that basket, right? And, and then, unfortunately, we're told that smart people don't believe in a creator, Right? Smart people don't believe in a creator. The problem is smart people do. Some smart people, some really, really smart people actually do believe in a creator. If you were around a long time ago, I did a series called Evidence. And if you're here today, you're not sure about Jesus and you're wondering why all these crazy people are here at church today or you're watching online and why do they sing to this God and why, how could you believe someone came back from the dead? I'd love for you to listen to that that CDC, or it's not a CD anymore. No one knows what a CD is. Yeah, that series, um, it's right on the app. It's also on our website. But one of the things I brought up in that first part was that a while back, a hundred different scientists, and I'm going to read their specific titles here because I don't want to mess this up. A hundred biologists, chemists, zoologists, physicists, anthropologists, molecular and cell biologists, bioengineers, organic chemists, geologists, and astrophysicists from places like Cambridge, Stanford, Cornell, Yale, Princeton, and Berkeley took out a two-page ad in a national magazine, and this is what they said. We are skeptical of claims for the ability of random mutation and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. That not all this just happened somehow, but that maybe, just maybe, that like the very first verse in the whole Bible says, God created. And you know, if you really think about it, when you think about how random it would be and how uncertain and how mysterious, it's actually easier to believe that there's a designer that somebody set this up with the, you know, the complexity of life and all that we, we look around at and all we experience. I don't know if anybody's been on like a gardening binge lately. I've been going for it at our house and to see like just a beautiful flower grow up out of the earth like that, like, oh, this was a plan. This was a plan. Now, some of you in the room are like, all right, Doug, you lost me. I'm already out because I 100% believe that science is to be trusted. Okay, let me just say too, I'm not anti-science. Let me say that I'm so thankful for science that you guys know, many of you know the journey I was on, how I almost died several months ago and how much God used brilliant doctors and nurses and therapists to help me 
live and get through that. I am so thankful. And I believe there are really smart people and they're really smart for a reason. But if that offends you, let me start to lead you down a path toward I think what we're supposed to do with all of our offense, okay? Because it's not just science, right, that offends in this modern day and age. There's all kinds of things that offend. And when we start to go down this path, what we've got to learn to do is actually not just get over our offense. Don't hear me say today, get over what you don't like about God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is exchange it for something better. I'm going to tell you what that means. I'm going to help you understand how to do that. I'm not asking you to get over your offense today. I'm saying let's exchange it for something better. We're going to see how this plays out. This is so important for us to talk about because when we get offended or we choose to give up or we twist what God says, we miss out on the life that he offers. And that's the heart of this series. The heart of this series is not to rob fun from us or life from us. The heart of this series is that you and I would actually be led to life that we'd be preserved from some of the pitfalls and some of the things that we might find ourselves headed toward as we're maybe walking away from God. Maybe we're, we're running from the things he has for us. And I want to remind you too that nothing in this series is meant to condemn anybody, that you are loved, like I said in the beginning, like Isabella's parents look at her, and man, she's just the most beautiful little thing, then man, you are loved like that by your Savior, by your God, your Heavenly Father. And so what we're talking about is actually meant to preserve you going forward. And also, man, we're supposed to stand out, right? We're God's peculiar people. And so we're supposed to live like it. We're supposed to act like it. But what do we do when we're offended? What do we do when God says something we don't like? What do we do when the Bible says something that we don't like? We're going to talk about that here today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard me bring up before that we're God's special possession, and that Jesus died to make us that. And I want, I want to make sure you know, as I talk about like right and wrong and, and, and truth and lies and those different types of things and, and trying to live our lives a certain way, I'm not saying we should do it so that we'll become God's special possession. I'm saying we do it because we already are. We already are. That's why, right? Chewy is already my wife's special possession, and so he's going to live like it, right? Not to become it. He already is it, and that's what you and I have the opportunity to be because Jesus is just so good to us. So John 6 is where we're going to be today. If you brought a Bible, open it on up to John 6. If you have your Bible app, you're allowed to use it as long as you don't end up playing like Mario Brothers or something. And then I'd love for you guys also to read along on the screen with me. But before we start in the verses we're going to look at here in verse 25, let me tell you a few things that happened right before this, okay? So Jesus takes some bread and some fish and he multiplies it and he feeds thousands of people, okay? Now, I don't know anyone else who can pull that off and I'm guessing you don't either, all right? Then the disciples are on a boat in a lake, and they get into some trouble, and there's a bad storm, and Jesus stills the storm, and oh, by the way, he walked on water on his way out to the boat, because hey, why not? It's just quicker, right? And so he gets out there and goes ahead and deals with that. Now again, I'm guessing you don't know anybody else who could pull that off besides Jesus, and the same was true for the disciples, and that's a really important starting point for us today, that Jesus is really unique, and when we think about our offense and we think about Jesus being really unique, those two are going to be paired up a little bit later as we learn how to overcome our offense. In John chapter 6, I just want to remind you, John, the writer of this gospel, was Jesus' best friend, an eyewitness to all this stuff, and later in life would suffer greatly saying Jesus was alive. He was not making this stuff up. John was willing to pay for it. John was willing to be in prison. He was willing to be tortured. He was willing to be beaten. 
and he would not stop saying Jesus was actually alive. So in verse 25, it says, when they found him, talking about Jesus, when they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus is saying, you guys ran around the lake while I walked on it, because again, quicker, um, because I fed you, right? These are the people he had just fed with the loaves and the fish. And he's saying, I know you're not really here because you want me and you care about me. You just want some dessert probably, you know, waiting on some cannolis or something out here now, right? And so I just want to say, this really has nothing to do with the message right now, but can I just say this and remind us as a church? Man, if we could always seek Jesus, not just for what he gives us, but for who he is, right? That we continue to be the kind of people that are saying, oh, I want more of Jesus. I want to know him. I'm very grateful he heals and he provides and he does all these great things but man more than anything i just want to know jesus let's be that church right all right verse 27 he says do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you for on him god the father has placed his seal of approval so he's talking about himself he's saying okay the son of man or me he's saying i will give you eternal life everybody say give I will give you eternal life. So right here we see that Jesus stands out. You don't know anybody else who can give eternal life. As you begin to look at religion, which many of us have come from that, right? As you begin to look through religion and, and that, man, what, what does this uh, religion believe in? What does that religion believe in? What do they offer? I, I will save you a lot of time and tell you, as somebody who's studied this extensively for years of my life, every single religion comes down to this. Be a good person and you'll save yourself. Be a bad person, and you won't. Bottom line. And then Jesus comes in with this totally different message. He says, how about this? I'll save you. I'll save you. I'll give my life. My sacrifice on the cross is what will save you. And then when I change your life and you respond to my love, you begin to live a different way and look a little bit like some peculiar people, God's special possession. And so this is a whole different way of thinking. You don't know anybody like Jesus. That's going to be important in a minute. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Now this is so like us, everybody, okay? Please tune in on this for a minute. If you're here, you're watching online, this is so us, right? Think about it. Jesus just says, I will give you eternal life. And the people go, great, 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 great. What do we got to do to get it? Isn't that so us? Everybody say give, right? Jesus just said he's going to give us eternal life. It's a gift and here we are trying to figure out what we have to do to earn it, right? No, it's a gift. Uh, the homeless outreach and the, and the grocery donations that we give out, we stand with signs like these out there over in Islandia, and we say free groceries. And people come in, and they're driving over by Walmart, and we're waving at every single car that comes by, and there's tons of these signs my man Ron made for us. And so there they are. And we get three looks from people as they come by. First look, smiles. People who are like, that's amazing. People will yell out to us, thank you for what you're doing, doing what you're doing. This is awesome. We want to help. People have stopped and given us money toward donations. People have stopped and just thanked us. And people come with smiles because they're going to get free food. And so they come up and get what they need. And that's a blessing. Second one is skepticism. We get a skeptical look, just sort of like taking it all in, a little bit like uh, uncertain. The third look we get is like, right, like total smirk, you know, like free, I don't buy free. And so people will come up and they'll be like, this is really free? And we're like, yeah, it's free. They're like, 
free, free? We're like, yeah, free, free. Like, what about, uh, like, what about this and that? Uh, strings attached. And yeah, like people literally have come up and we've told them it's free and there's not one string attached and they still walk away. Incredible, right? And this is what the people here, Jesus is saying, hey, this is free. It's a gift. He goes on. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Ready? Here's his response to their question. What do we have to do? To believe in the one he sent. Jesus says, oh, it's free. All you have to do is put your trust in me. Just believe in the one he has sent. Everybody say believe. Believe. Salvation is given. It's a gift from God. And so then they say, okay, well, Jesus, we would like you to do something to prove that you're God. Okay, and then they bring up this example. They say, Moses, in the desert, in the wilderness, fed our ancestors with bread from heaven, right? And then Jesus says, oh, well, I want to tell you, Moses isn't feeding you like I could feed you. My Father in heaven is sending true life, true bread. And he's talking actually about himself. He's using this as an example. In verse 34, it says this, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Like, we want bread. They were not understanding he was talking about saving mankind by his sacrifice, not literal bread. Verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is saying, it's me. I'm the bread of life. Now listen, he's using an example here. He's using an illustration. Jesus does not think he's a piece of bread, okay? And so he's saying, hey, just like Moses, God through Moses brought bread and it fed the people and it saved them. They would have starved and died. And it proved to those people that God was with them. I have come to save not just your physical body, but your soul And I've come to show you God is with you. And I love that it says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What's God talking about here? Satisfying us, right? See, you and I often look at Scripture or what God says, and we're like, I don't know, it feels like he's trying to steal our fun. No. His heart ultimately is to satisfy you and to satisfy me. Verse 36, but as I told you, you've seen me and you still do not believe. Jesus is saying, I'm standing right here. You saw me feed thousands of people. I just skipped across the lake and you still don't believe in me. This is a hard conversation Jesus is having, right? Think about what he said so far. It's not about your works. They all thought it was about their works. I've come to save you. If you simply believe in me, you'll have this salvation. It's a gift to you. And oh, by the way, I'm the bread of life sent from heaven offensive to a bunch of religious people who thought it was about their performance. What will they do with their offense? What will you do? What will I do with our offense? Jesus goes on for a bit, and then verse 41 says this, at this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, not the Je- is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? They're getting offended. They like the miracle he did. They like that, but they're not loving some of the things that he's saying now. What do we do with the stuff that we don't like that Jesus said? Jesus talks about how his father is going to draw those who will truly believe. And then he talks a little bit more about being the bread of life. And then it says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give 
for the life of the world. Now again, illustration. Jesus is not saying, eat my flesh, literally. Then it goes on in verse 52. Then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Well, Jesus is up in the game here. You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Again, illustrations. Jesus is not a vampire, okay? Illustrations here. He's saying, my flesh is going to get crucified up on that cross. And my blood's going to spill out. And unless you basically ingest that, not literally, but, but you take that concept of me giving my life and now my, my broken body and my poured out blood being what saves you, you will not have life. But if you do, I will raise you up on the last day, right? If you're following along in the Bible, you'll see a heading over the next portion of the chapter and it says this, many disciples desert Jesus. Why? Because man, this was some offensive stuff. This was some controversial. This was some countercultural stuff that Jesus was saying here. And he goes on in verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus, we really like your miracles. We think you're a nice guy and all, maybe a prophet, but now you're calling yourself the savior of the world. And that offends us. I gotta tell you, I see it all the time. I see it all the time. People who get offended at something that God says, and they walk away. I gotta tell you something that isn't really fun to hear, but the Bible should offend us sometimes. Because God's ways are so different than ours. The Bible should offend us sometimes. Culture is saying this, Jesus is saying that. It's like, which way am I gonna go here, right? The scripture should challenge us. That's not real popular here in this day and age where kind of we all get a trophy at the end of the season, right? Everybody's just perfect, just like they are. No, no, God, designer, creator, looks at you and I, looks at me, imperfect, Doug Jansen, and says, Doug, I have so much for you, man. If you would just surrender to me and walk with me, watch what I'll do in your life. Like me, right here. This is not somebody on a stage looking out at you, telling you how bad you are. This is somebody on a stage saying, God wants to change me, make me more like him. And I'm in on that. But man, sometimes his word makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Jesus is saying, okay, you're offended now. All I did was walk on water and, and, and you know, do some loaves and, and, and fish here. And imagine when they put me on the cross, in the grave, rise from the dead, and then ascend to heaven. Imagine how, how you're going to be feeling them. He goes on in verse 66. We see a little bit more. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They were offended and they left. What will we do as God's special possession? As God asks us to do something that's uncomfortable, as God, as we're reading his word, says something that seems really countercultural, what will we do? Well, next we see our answer. Next we see, I think, what's one of the most powerful exchanges in all of the scripture. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. I pray we have this heart. We've been praying for you. Our staff's been praying that our hearts would have this kind of softness. Our, our, our prayer team, we pray today that our hearts would be soft to these words. You ready? In verse 67, it says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Jesus looks at his guys, the guys who have been with him, the guys who know him best, his best friends, the guys who have given up the most and learned the most. There they are. They've followed him. And he says, are you guys going to leave too? Are you guys going to leave 
to. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, and this is so beautiful. We gotta just let this sink in. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. What a beautiful answer. We're living in 2021 American culture and the world's looking at us going, would you just leave them already? Would you just walk away? Are we really still doing this? Isn't this a little old-fashioned now? And you and I are starting to feel some of the pressure of that, aren't we? And as we think about, do I? Do I keep going? Even if it costs me something, even if it costs me everything, am I going to keep on following this Jesus? And I just love that Peter could recognize that Jesus was so unique. You weren't going to go just find another one of them that says stuff you're comfortable with. No, this was one you kept following even when it got uncomfortable. And Peter, we don't know, the scripture doesn't tell us, but Peter could have been just as offended as everybody else that day. He just knew something. He knew you just couldn't go find another Jesus. Where else am I gonna go? You're the only one who offers life. You're the only one who came to die for me. You're the only one who sacrificed his life for me. I can't find this anywhere else. Peter wasn't gonna pick and choose what Jesus said. He wasn't going to twist what Jesus said. He didn't get up after Jesus said all that. Oh, guys, well, let me clarify some of the things that Jesus said. No, he just said, I understand that no one else offers what this Savior offers. And so whatever he says, I'm going with that. Whatever he says, I'm going with that. Say this this with me. Where else are we going to go? You hold the words of life. That's our answer. That's our answer. When you and I butt up against something that rubs us the wrong way, God didn't come through like I hoped he would. How can the word of God still say this? How are we expected in this culture to follow him? And All right, I don't know all that. I don't know all that. I don't know all those answers. But what I do know is, is there's only one Jesus. There's only one Savior. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one who can lead and guide and direct me. There's only one who is the bread of life who wants to satisfy me. There's only one who can satisfy my thirst. There's only one. And there's this little word here that, man, we don't like in this day and age. It's this word called surrender. Surrender. I have to do this, guys. I hope you know. I'm in this with you. I have to open up the word of God sometimes, and I see something, and I go, ah, that's hard. But where else am I going to go? I'm going to surrender what I'm feeling. I'm going to surrender what my mind might tell me. And again, we're not going to be a bunch of dumb Christians who just go because we go. No, there is so much evidence that we can sink our teeth into. There are so many logical reasons why we should follow this Jesus. But when we don't know, and when we feel a little overwhelmed or like something is said that's real difficult, at the end of the day, you and I, man, we surrender. And here's what I want to say today. I'm not asking you to trade, or I'm I'm not asking you to just get over your offense. I'm asking you to trade it for something better. I'm not asking you to just get over it and say, come on, guys, let's just just not worry about what the Bible says. We'll we'll pretend it's not there, we'll twist it, or we'll just ignore that one, or, no, no. Sorry, I'm having some mic difficulties here. All right, it just goes around the ear, right? Simple, right? That's what they told me in the back. It's simple, Doug. And so, they never told me that. I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, And so, as we're thinking about this, it's like, okay, I'm not just going to decide that, you know, this is exactly what I would have done where I got, but instead I'm going to say, I'm going to trade it for something better. That's what Peter did that day. That's that's how he got over his offense. 
He traded his argument for something better, life in Jesus, a satisfier, a savior, a rescuer. And so when you and I see something countercultural that makes us really uncomfortable, I think we have to say, I'm going to trade my right to stand up against this and fight this. And no, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to trade it for something better, life in Jesus. And listen, context is important. Sometimes we walk away from Jesus because we're not really hearing him clearly. Lots of people have done this. You know probably the number one reason, or let me not go that far. One of the top reasons people don't take the Bible seriously, slavery. They think that the Bible condones slavery, right? What we have to realize is that the Bible does not condone slavery. And if you've been around for a while, you've heard me bring up this concept, these two words, prescription and description. Prescription and description. The Bible sometimes uh, describes something it's not prescribing, right? Like we do this all the time, by the way. We explain something that happened to us. We're not prescribing that somebody now go do that thing. If you're on your way to work tomorrow, I pray this doesn't happen to any of you guys. You'll blame me, right? But you're on your way to work, and all of a sudden, uh, somebody rear-ends you from behind, just a little fender bender, and then they take off, and you go into the office or school, and you start to tell your friends about what happened to you. Wouldn't it be so out of sorts, and like, what, what were you thinking for someone to say, oh, wow, well, why would you tell me to go rear-end somebody and then take off? You'd be like, I'm not. I'm describing what happened to me, not prescribing what you should go do to somebody else, right? And so there are times the scripture talks about slavery. It does not prescribe it. It just simply describes it. Listen, before you walk away from Jesus, make sure you're hearing him right. Make sure you you really know what he's about. Make sure you really know his heart. What do we do? With the stuff that Jesus said that we don't like. Well, I think like Peter, we recognize there's nobody else like this. There's nobody else like Jesus. There's no one else who could pull off what he's pulled off. There's no one else even trying. There's no one else who's offered. There's no one else who is like a close second, right? No, we're going to follow this Jesus because there's no one else like him. And so instead of deciding what we do or don't like or picking and choosing or twisting or ignoring, I think instead we just go straight up Peter. Where else am I going to go? You hold the words of life. We do this by surrendering to him, recognizing a few things, okay? If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. A, we recognize he's God. B, we recognize he's God. C, let's go with he's God one more time, all right? Now we'll go D, a little different. He's been at this a little longer than us, no? This whole like running the universe thing, He's been at it a little longer, knows it a little bit better than you and I do, right? And the source of life gets to dictate how we live. I rented a log splitter recently. Uh, we had a bunch of trees taken down in our backyard, and I had to just chop up the wood. I'm not quite as jacked the manly as I used to be. And so I rented a log splitter. And I, I, I need you to go with me just for a minute here. I know this is, like, stupid. It truly is stupid. But they're, like... Try, you, you try to come up with illustrations every week to represent your relationship with God, all right? And then get back to me, all right? Just, just go with me for a minute. I, you have to use your imagination on this. Imagine that the log splitter is invented, okay? The, first, the person who created it gets the first one. It's like brand new. Here it is, and he has it, right? He or she goes to turn, uh, take some gas and put it in the tank. Imagination, please. And the log splitter just goes, uh, whoa, whoa, what are we doing here? I'm putting some gas in you because I created you to run on the gas. Hey, I'm not really feeling that. I, try some bleach instead. The, the designer would be going, no, that will destroy you. That's not what I created you to run on, right? Keep going with me, all right? So 
puts the gas in and he goes ahead and he kind of goes to pull the, the starter and then all of a sudden the log splitter speaks up again just, just whoa, whoa, whoa what, what are we doing here? Well, I created you to split this wood and so yeah, I'm not really feeling that. Like, like are you seeing, again, I'm just doing my best here, everybody. Are you seeing what it's like when we look back at God and go, nope, you got that wrong. That's not the right way. That's not how it should be. That's not how it should look. No, you and I more and more need to look back to the creator and say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look back to what you say. I'm gonna look back to what you say. And this is so countercultural. This is so, guys, it's hard right now. But this is still the beautiful relationship God set up for you and I is that we continue to look to him. And when we look to his word, it's gonna inform us on all kinds of really important things, okay? How to forgive somebody, right? Because some of us are just stuck in anger mode right now. And the word of God is gonna make us go, okay, I've got to line my heart back up with the Lord. I've got special possession. I'm gonna live a different way. Purity, right? Sexuality, identity, relationship, marriage, how to love somebody. Listen, the most important commands in Scripture are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your blank as yourself. Your what? Your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor is not just the person who lives in the house next to you. Your neighbor, Jesus describes, is the person least like you. Least like you. So I know I probably offended half the room already. Let's just get the rest of you in here, all right? Be Kelly and I church together next Sunday. It'll be awesome. How are you doing with loving those people least like you? How are you doing with loving for you? I don't know, maybe it's a person with a different color of skin. Or maybe it's a police officer. Or maybe it's a gay person. Or maybe it's a mask wearer or a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer. I said, it's just going to be me and Kelly next week, right? (laughs) God, in his word, reminds us, love those least like you, right? And so it is so vital for you and me to keep on taking him at his word and keep on going, okay, God, you are saying something here and this is important and you're God and I'm not and I'm thankful that you care about my questions. You care that this is really a struggle for me right now. You care, think about this everybody, you care to the point that you sent your son, God, to be crucified by the people he came to save. You care that much about this world. And so God, I'm gonna surrender to you. Because where else, truly, where else am I going to go? Now again, I'm so thankful we got a lot of young people in this church. Let me talk to you for a minute if you're a younger person here. And, and you can really put yourself in that category any, any way you want. So 65 and over, go for it, all right? Let me talk to the younger people for a minute because here's what's so important. Here's what I would say to my kids, and I can because they're here. Here's what I say, is that I really believe that the enemy is coming after your generation like never before, Right? confuse you, to get you to think there's no such thing as truth and lie. There's no such thing as right or wrong. Here's what the whisper is right now. It's, if it works for you, it works for you. If it works for me, it works for me, right? Everything is subjective. There's no absolute, which by the way, that statement, there's no absolute, is an absolute. So there are absolutes, right? No, there, there is right and wrong. There is good and bad. There is truth and lie. And I have to believe that, like, the reason they're coming after you right now so hard is because God has so much for you to do. That we're in a really important time in our nation's history and world history. 
And I really believe God's got you guys. I love that whole row of teenagers, preteens right there. How legit. God's got you guys to do some important and powerful things in this day and age. And I think he wants you to keep on clinging to him right now. Keep on looking to him. It's not popular. But who else do you know that offers life? Who else do you know that can do what Jesus can do? And so I want you, before you think about walking away, to take a hard look at Jesus and see if you can find anybody else that says, I'm here holding the words of life. Next week, we're going to talk about a specific, specific area of our lives that I really think God wants us to stand out as his people. And, you know, this has been kind of a heavy day. I get it. This is a heavy topic here today. Not going to be nearly as heavy next week. But it's one of those things that I really think God is trying to get a hold of our hearts. And if we could shine as his special possession in this next season in this way, it'd be really powerful. But if today you and I will take God at his word, We'll learn to not just get over our offense, but trade it for something better, the life that Jesus offers. I really, truly believe that, man, we're going to live a really powerful, impactful life here and now. I've been thinking a lot about this, man. It's, it's, it's harder to be a Christian, right? It's harder to stand for the things of God right now. But, like, what book have you ever read where, the, like, the hero, it really was just, like, easy for him? Like, he was just, like, sitting in the corner yawning, Right? Like, what movie did you ever see that you, you were like, wow, that was incredible, and, like, nobody did anything that cost anything, right? No, like, like, there's something powerful about living for the Lord. There's something powerful about standing up when it's dark. Not, listen to me, not to yell and scream in anger at people you disagree with. That's not what I'm saying. But we stand on truth, and we stand up for truth, and we do it like Jesus did, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And so in this day and age, guys, we gotta, we'll keep looking to the Lord, keep looking to his word, keep clinging to scripture, keep clinging to Jesus, even when it's uncomfortable. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard me talk about Jesus getting on a cross for you, dying, rising back from the dead. If you're wrestling through that and you don't really buy that, man, I'd love to grab coffee with you. I'd love to talk with you because I went through years of that struggle. And I would also love for some of you guys who are like, nah, man, I'm in. I really feel God doing something in my life right now, and I would love to put my trust in him. I'd love for you to pray with me and just start a conversation with Jesus. But for the rest of us, let's remember, as we are walking this, this life out, and as our faith is challenged, and big questions come up, and some countercultural things happen, we keep on looking back to Jesus, just like Peter, saying, where else am I going to go? You hold the words of life. Let's pray. God, we're coming to you today so, so needy. God, I am a work in progress. I need you, God, and I, I need your help. I need you every single moment of every single day to keep on changing me, making me more like you. I need you. And so, God, would you, would you start with me here in the room today? And would you work your way on out to the rest of us here today, God, that need your help, that want to act like your special possession? I want to stand out like your peculiar people, not because we're weird and annoying, but because we've got the hope of God in us. We've got the love of God in us. We've got the life of God in us. God, help us to carry that out to this world. If you're a follower of Jesus and, and there's something you've been offended at, there's something that you've been tripping over, there's something you've been thinking about giving it all up because you just can't seem to wrestle your way through this topic or that thing or that thing God did or didn't do, then, man, I would encourage you to be very rawly honest with him right now. As raw as you can be, God, I'm struggling with this. God, I've thought about giving up on you altogether because of this. Have that conversation with him. 
and ask him to help you exchange that offense for life in him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to pray with me now. You can pray something like this. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for wanting me. Thank you that this is a gift. Thank you, God, that I'm forgiven of all I've ever done and all I ever will do. I thank you that you're patient with me and you want to keep making me more and more like you. God, show me how unique you are. Jesus, show me that you alone offer life and satisfaction. In your name I pray.